This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos. Today, I'm speaking with Megan Caprizio, co-founder of the Femtech Collective. It's a premier network supporting founders of female health tech innovation around the world. Megan shares her story as to why she has dedicated her career to ensuring that women have more control over their realities, especially in health and wellness. With a background researching the role of women on the international stage at the University of Sydney, to establishing a tequila company that empowers and celebrates women in the wine and spirits industry, Megan talks to the launch of the Femtech Collective in Sydney. We break down what Femtech is and how it can offer additional support for women to manage their health with the help of technology and to re-educate the public on how healthy women create a healthy society. It's all about collaboration and that alignment of values has led to HealthTechX partnering with the Femtech Collective. And some of our discussion talks through opportunities for Femtech innovators to help reimagine healthcare for females. The Femtech Collective supports and consults Femtech founders and companies, whilst also working with investors and partners across Australia and the US to grow the ecosystem and amplify the founders of Femtech and their offerings. This episode will expose a pathway to potential help with leading business support services and global networks for entrepreneurs, innovators, and professionals to connect, collaborate, and upskill as we move towards creating better products and services for female health. Let's jump in. Hey there, Megan, how are you doing today? Yeah, great, how are you? I'm fantastic, thank you. Thanks for coming along. Tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background that leads you to this point of being involved with the Femtech Collective? Sure, so I'm originally from the US. I've been in Australia for about five years now. I originally came to Australia to study a master's of international relations, really focusing on women's placement and representation in politics and on the global stage, and really coming back to the idea that women's health is quite a globally low priority for a lot of countries around the world. And and through this and through my research and through various projects and roles at the University of Sydney, kept realizing that if women's health is going to be put forward, it really is going to be dependent on technology and innovation because healthcare systems and governments are really lagging and we can only really push forward through them in so many ways. So it really is going to have to come from innovators. So that's where I found myself in the women's health tech space or what we call femtech. And after working with various femtech companies realized that the femtech collective which is originally headquartered out of silicon valley could really utilize an expansion here in australia so we've been in australia for about almost two years now it's about a year over a year and a half but at first really just seeing if australia had any interest in women's health technology but also as an industry that technologists would want to work in it turns out There's incredible interest in this space, especially for Aussie women wanting these products. But there's quite a gap in the economy right now where the 
femtech industry should be. So we expanded the Femtech Collective here as a extension of the global network and a business support service to really start generating that next generation of leaders in the Femtech space and hopefully make Australia a global player in the Femtech ecosystem globally. Well, I think I think we've got a tremendous opportunity to achieve just that. Yeah. What do you define as Femtech? Yeah, so Femtech is any product, service, or device that offer support to women's health. We like to be quite inclusive. So this can be anything from a medical device to a direct-to-consumer product to a SaaS um, application, but also can extend to anyone who might value the service or the product that may not identify as a woman or female, but actually could very well use the product itself. So contextualizing that, so anything in and around the female life, are there any limitations at all? Is it, is it anything related to female requirements, healthcare, entrepreneurial development? Does it cover anything that just relates to it? Or is there something that you're a little bit more narrow on in terms of healthcare, for example? Yeah, so it's more revolved around health and healthcare. Entrepreneurially, it just happens that a lot of female entrepreneurs come out of the space, but it's not an industry silo just for women. It just happens that at this stage, a lot of women are coming out of the space as founders because they're creating products that help their own health journey. So it's, it is something that is targeted to women at every stage of life. So anywhere, we like to say anywhere from teenage years to later in life. And that can be compounded as well from menstruation, fertility, pregnancy, menopause, so on, but also how mental health is affected at each stage, sexual health and wellness at each stage, um, and how it develops um, through the women's health journey. Great, great. So typically, who would you be seeing as a, a good candidate to be coming and getting involved with the Femtech Collective? So our audience is to founders, innovators, or professionals in the space who are interested in a career shift towards women's health. That's our main focus. But to be honest, it's a wide-reaching audience. A lot of our members just have an interest in women's health, want to see more of an activist movement pushing forward with uh, women's health being more of a priority. But on the other side of things, it might be an industry professional in the healthcare system, a potential investor, Anyone that's maybe in the health tech space uh, who also could have an overlap and or interesting collaboration. So we, we do try to focus on really generating a next generation of leaders in the space. It's definitely not exclusive <laughs> to that to that group alone. So that would mean that in terms of the entrepreneurs or the people who are coming into the community, they don't necessarily need to be women. They can be anyone who has an interest in improving health and wellness for women by using innovative approaches and, and femtech ideas. Is that sort of a fair summary? Yeah, that's fantastic. And actually there's, for us, we have quite an interest in having many more male allies and allies from all genders because power really lies in the men's corner at this stage. So having more men on board supporting women's health is really going to help us move forward. It's just a happenstance that there are a good number of female founders in this space. 
the more diversity in, in the women's health tech space that we can see is really going to provide the best products and services. Fantastic. So let's let's go into the Femtech Collective then. So you mentioned it originated out of the uh, Silicon Valley. You're a co-founder of the Femtech Collective and you're growing, I guess, the the community out here from Sydney. Where do you want to go with the Femtech Collective? Yeah, so the Femtech Collective's ultimate vision is to be the go-to global network and business support service for women's health tech. So as we sit currently, turns out everywhere in the world, there's an interest in better managing and providing more personalized services for women's health. But there are pockets around the world that need a little bit more attention. Australia is what we're starting with at this stage that require a bit more of this business support service in in a couple different facets. So how we found what Australia needs the most is on one side, really career accelerating opportunities. So anything from virtual networking, because we can't meet in person as of now, has really been a fundamental thing for the femtech industry globally is network. We find virtual networking is a next best step. Secondly, we have a mentorship program launching mid next year that's really going to be about gathering these industry professionals who know women's health in Australia, who know the healthcare system, who know business in this arena who can really see the potential of where it can go and grouping them with mentees who can make it happen. Um, Some other facets we have is our membership for the community itself, for the global community that allow you to have uh, special offers and perks in the femtech industry, as well as in digital health. And there's, there's a variety of products, services, courses that we offer to our members at a discount through our partnerships that really allow femtech to be accelerating forward and offer the best support possible. For us, there is a couple sides to it. I know on one hand, you might really be starting from scratch and just getting your toes dipped in the water through networking and mentorship. But on the other side, you might actually be a little bit more developed, looking for more consulting services, more hands-on strategy, in which the Femtech Collective also offers those consultations in the ways of strategy sessions, mentorship sessions, and so on. That's great. That was certainly part of the appeal in working through our collaboration as well, Megan, and getting HealthTechX involved with the Femtech Collective, because we, we share a lot of very similar values overtly around the collaboration and the value of how powerful it can be when you actually open source innovation and you bring people who represent different ingredients that are needed to actually channel into the production of a good or a service and then to be able to see that through to a point where we can evaluate and succeed in actually supporting a target group of people or Mm -hmm. or clients. That's something that I'd love you to talk a little bit more about as well because you talk about that collaboration as being one of your core values and you see it as an enabler for accelerating, I guess, some of the female health innovation, not just here in Australia but around the world. Yeah, that's right. And, and the Femtech Collective was established as a social impact organization. And we find that collaboration is really the only way to make the most impact. There's no use in trying to reinvent the wheel, but there is a lot of value in finding and utilizing everyone's strengths to be able to push the industry forward as a whole. So there's a Femtech Collective Leaders Alliance that we have globally 
There's also the Women's Health Tech Innovation Coalition that we're a part of. It allows us to build the industry with the same understanding and initiatives that women need more support to better manage their health and making it too of a competitive industry or economy won't actually be that successful for women unless they're getting those products. <laughs> of course, a little bit of competition is always making for a good economy, but we do found, find the value partnering quite strategically with companies like HealthTechX and quite a few across Australia and globally to really build upon each other and promote what's best of all of our organizations that we're putting forward. I think it's the key. One of the motivations for HealthTechX to come into existence in the first place is that there's a real gap for entrepreneurs to try and find partnerships and funding and resources and support for their ideas when mm-hmm. it's in the really early stages, whether it's either at an ideation stage, proof of concept stage, pre-startup, or even very early in the startup phase. And it's, it's not an indictment on the venture capital industry. It's just simply that there's way more ideas than there are funds to be matched and allocated. And so there's a real sort of structural problem, I think, in the way the economy works and how it actually moves capital around to support innovative thinking and ideas. So HealthTechX, in, in, in part, is a response to that by working on the thesis that resources are abundant, they exist, they're everywhere. So we don't just need money to get an idea going. If you think about why you raise money in the first place for an idea, you use the money to do things with it, such as hire people, hire space, hire uh, systems, hire you know, resources in order to be able to translate the thinking into that innovative product or service. So where there are collaborators who are already possessing some of those resources, then in a way we can bypass the money requirement early in the yeah. piece and bring those resources together so that we can commercially validate whether ideas are worth pursuing or not, whether there's success down the road or whether it's something that perhaps prospective customers won't value or won't be engaged with. And I think that ends up in a place where then cash investors feel way more confident that the idea is backable and worth investing in at that point on and accelerating it to the next level. What's been your experience in, in either personally or through what your observations of the community on the types of yeah. trials and tribulations of trying to get the idea going? What's it been like? I'd, li- I'd like to say that I feel like I was having the same thoughts as you were saying them, so I'm glad we're on the same page there. It does seem that the natural progression for a lot of founders is I'm going to buckle down, figure this out kind of on my own or with my small team, and then find someone to pitch it to. What that means is have limited feedback until it matters, which you want to be getting as much constructive feedback as possible before going into that pitch for funding uh, because you only have one shot, <laughs> but also means you, you aren't having as diverse of a team as possible with different backgrounds and skill sets, but also, again, strengths coming from different partnerships and resources of products that they're already developing. So what we're finding in the femtech space, especially through COVID times, <laughs> is a lot of femtech companies are collaborating together to better suit their products for a changing environment such as a global pandemic. In a way, it's an interesting time to pivot 
because there's so many different constraints. It's definitely putting your product to test. But also it's in a time where you're putting health at the top of people's minds and really making sure that the product they're providing is personalized, it's convenient, even after isolation or pandemic might be over. We're really seeing SaaS products or software applications partnering with telehealth companies to be able to provide the best service possible for their users to be able to get that product the way that they had always wanted. It could require, with some products who require a GP to have a consultation beforehand, the telehealth services really does come in handy, especially when at a time when people don't want to go to the GP if fear of getting even more sick. We're finding that it's the best way forward, as well as finding different partnerships with products that can be more at home, so subscription services, contraception, and prescriptions sent to the home right away, mixed with a telehealth consultation beforehand, is a complete diagnosis without having to leave the home. So the collaboration is really key here. And to move fast, you're really going to have to find someone who already has that strength, who has already researched, put it into implement, and why not join forces and be stronger together. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And it, I guess another, another observation I'd make as well is that the way that I guess the legacy system has grown, it's created this relationship between where we live and the type of services we've got access to, which is subject to that. So where you live, town planning, the way the cities are actually designed and our suburbs are designed, have engineered, for example, that the services that we quote unquote need or the goods that we quote unquote need can only be sourced from these designated areas. And when you look at, for example, groceries or the supermarket kind of model here in Australia, there's only a certain amount of shelf space that is available to place products in front of a consumer and to actually try and uh, support them. And so some choices are being made there that aren't strictly speaking the choices of the consumer. And so mm. when, when I think about healthcare and I think about goods and services related to healthcare, our opportunity to reimagine the way that we actually build relationships between consumers and their, let's say, what's best for them as a, a yeah. by empowering them for being more more consumer centric or in in the context of healthcare more patient centric or more client centric we yeah. can say no the the only choice to getting products are not just what's limited to those items that are on the shelves of this physical space that's mm-hmm. over here and we can actually move yeah. more towards niching in the healthcare industry which is sort of a, an evolving trend where healthcare service providers can actually really become specialist in in a subset of women's healthcare, as opposed to trying to be generalist or trying to do a lot across Mm -hmm. the board. Does that resonate with you at all? Do you see that potential? Yeah, I do. And I I think there's another facet to it as well, like, especially when you're chatting about consumers not having, they don't get to decide what goes on the shelf. But especially in in Australia, where regional Australia (laughs) is, is really difficult sometimes to get the healthcare you're needing. Yeah, that's when technology can really come in handy as well as really serve those individuals who might need it. There's a a few companies that are noted for this. So there's WellFem, which is a company that is specific for supporting women through menopause and it's a telehealth application. So the purpose for this 
is, of course, to be able to suit women everywhere is needed, but particularly for region Australia, where it might take hours to get to a specialist, menopause specialists aren't everywhere. <laughs> it becomes a, a great asset to be able to suit those women and definitely make them feel less isolated despite geography. The same goes with some companies I mentioned previously, like at-home consultations for contraception and then a subscription for either the pill or IUD or whatever the prescription ends up being. There's a company called Kinfertility that helps a lot with this. There's a lot of femtech companies that are really taking this idea that, especially in Australia, there has to be accessibility. It has to be a key thing for women to get the healthcare that they need. In, in the community at the moment with Femtech Collective, what are, what are some stories that you could refer to of people that you've gotten involved with and the Femtech Collective has been able to support them move from point A to point B or point C to point D? Can you tell mm-hmm. us a couple of stories? Sure. Um, there's quite a few. I think most recently, what's, which is top of mind, is individuals coming to us with the very peak of interest with the idea they have for a company or product they want to launch. So most recently I had someone approach me about creating a better and more discreet breast pump for Australia, similar to a couple products that are coming out of the U.S., but nothing specific to the Australia context. This would be more flexibility for working women and getting rid of the taboo of shoving women into (laughs) closets or wherever space is necessary to have privacy for for pumping. So it's been interesting chatting with this particular founder to really see how she's progressing from basic research and eventually we'll see uh, the launch of her product. We've had many stories of individuals coming through looking for fundraising, which is of course very difficult in this time, but How we work, as mentioned previously, is we like to collaborate. So we've collaborated with quite a few firms. So being able to connect those individuals, which I should probably not say until those deals go through, (laughs) with the right contacts um, and the right individuals, investors who will add a bit more to their company, not just funding, but strategically, as far as their backgrounds are concerned, is really giving us is a win for us. Essentially, we want to amplify those founders. And if we can do that through our partnerships, that's the way forward for us. Otherwise, it's, it's even smaller in that respect. It's, it's the enthusiasm that we see around femtech more generally. So right before Sydney went into its isolation, we had in February, we had our biggest in-person event and the buzz going around the room and the enthusiasm for the industry to grow, I was overwhelmed with. (laughs) And it really showed that there is such a key interest for this space, as well as acknowledging that women's health journeys are, can be a priority and that we're not alone going through them. There's so many facets that come into a women's health journey through pregnancy, through menopause, mental health, all these different things that can be isolating and are still not culturally a norm to chat about, (laughs) you know, openly. So being able to have a panel of fantastic women and a mostly female, (laughs) mostly female crowd, but I would say about 80% female. So great to see male representation there to be able to talk about this space and present questions and really make it 
about their journeys has been really fundamental. And we're seeing that even progress as we have launched our, our Femtech Formation, which is our online virtual networking, being able to connect in the space even one-on-one and exchange ideas, build a team through these networking events has really, the feedback we've gotten is exciting, <laughs> which shows that our passion for the industry extends past the team. That's great. Now, you used a term there, Amplify. And so mm-hmm. the amplification of the founders, what are, what are some of the things that you do or the Femtech Collective does to, to achieve just that? The approach that we use in the Femtech Collective is we act as a accelerator or a, which in the tech space has a very specific term, but maybe like a catalyst is better more broadly. The individuals that come to us know that we can find particular PR opportunities or put them in contact with the right partners to bring their company or their product to the next level. So that's seen even the way that we do our own marketing. You'll see a lot of times through our different channels and through our different events, that core function of, of how we approach Femtech is ensuring that the founders that are already there and are doing great work, that their products are being seen, that we're helping them progress and find new users, finding the right audience. We know that our audience are already going to be adopters <laughs> of their products. So we want to put them in front of our audience, either through speaking engagements or putting them in touch with the right media outlets or what have you to, and not to use the same word, but to amplify what they already have put out for themselves. So with a lot of what we're talking about, about women's health journeys, being a founder more generally, no matter your gender or sex, can be very lonely unless you have a, a very supportive co-founder. And we try to act as a support service in that matter, an actual support <laughs> service that they can lean on to show what the, the progress they've made and allow us to push it a bit farther. That's great. I think it was Sarah Moran who uh, set up the Girl Geek Academy. That I was very much attracted to that because of the nature of the thinking, the innovation in creating those stories and content and books for young women and any all women ages. I think from memory it was something like five through to 95. And I thought that was great because it, it really, for me, it, it, I've got a daughter who's a little over four years old and I'd love her to get involved with software development and being innovative in the health tech sector. And I very much take every opportunity on occasion, she'll walk in and out of my meetings. And I never put boundaries around that because I really want her to be exposed to it and make an impression on her so that as she grows, this is an industry that she would not feel any resistance that for some reason she couldn't or shouldn't participate in it. And so I was very much attracted to the, to the Girl Geek Academy. So Megan, so in in the context of any parents out there who are looking to have their daughters, for example, be more open-minded, exposed, and have no resistance at all to the idea of getting involved in technology and being involved in areas that traditionally perhaps have been more male-dominated, how do we do that? It's a big question, and I think you're right. I think what Sarah is doing is fantastic. That is definitely the way forward. There's also some there, some other communities like Girls Who Code who get young girls in, say, summer camps or seasonal camps or after-school programs that's specifically about learning how to code and technology. 
But there's many ways to get women involved, and especially for femtech, it's starting from a young age, making sure that women's health is not as taboo. <laughs> I know it's just very difficult because it's not just women's health. It can be girls' and boys' health that kind of is covered by, let's say, less cheeky terms or you know makes it easier on the parents. But being able to talk about health from a young age and how bodies are developing is, is one aspect of it. It also it incites curiosity, which is really where interest is going to lie, not, not even specifically for tech, but for medicine, for biology, for how de- everyone is developing. Getting you know, girls from a young age interested in tech is definitely progressing. It's great to see these programs that we mentioned out there. But it's really also just acknowledging that there's there's some there's sometimes different psychology behind it, and I'm no psych expert, so take it with a grain of salt. But there's there's some concerns that telling girls they could do anything, maybe they would have not thought otherwise. <laughs> We're always enforcing that they could do anything they want, but maybe they always thought that until we implied they couldn't. So maybe playing with that a bit is interesting. One, one thing I'm finding in my generation of women is there's a common thread of we were raised by feminists who said we could do anything, and we took that as we have to do everything. <laughs> Finding an asset or one thing to be quite skilled in or a few things that we're interested in is enough, and we, should, we have to find that balance. So hopefully the next generation will be a bit more balanced than we are at this stage. <laughs> It's all part of the journey. I think it's an interesting point there. As parents, you do have aspirations for your kids and whatever your, I guess, your own journey has led to. You often hear parents, for example, that from the really early stages of their, of their children's life, socially, they're already announcing what they're going to be later in life. My daughter or son's going to be a doctor, is going to be a lawyer or something like that. And they're putting these kind of projections onto the child. And I guess that's the, that's the right and privilege of a parent to, to an extent. The comment I was making earlier was more around in business, we have these uh, cultural norms that apparently we have to be really professional with each other when we engage in, in a business context. And so when you think about the, uh, the digital meeting framework we have at the moment, when a child walks into a Zoom meeting, for example, there will be people who will judge that. They will see that as unprofessional. They will see that as, and it may be the observer, or it may actually be the person who's in the meeting where there's this preconceived context of what's professional, what's not professional. And my comment was more about, I don't have that. Electra is part of my world. So if she walks into, if she walks into a meeting with me, that's part of the experience and she will be exposed to it. She'll, that will make it some kind of impression on her. And it's not necessarily because I've planted something or suggested something to it, but it's more that I haven't put a barrier there and I haven't put a boundary to say, you can't do this. It's more that she's growing in an environment where she is coming into contact with what it's like to have a parent who is working from home and who provides remote services, so to speak. That was, that was more the, the comment there. Yeah, and it is an interesting comment as well because when we saw that news article or- yeah. I think I know the one you know. And we thought it was the funniest uh, thing when the, the toddler walked in and then the mom and then the other child. But you're right. That is the new norm. And I'm, I'm not sure even if the definition of professionalism before 
the world went into a complete work from home situation was really helpful to begin with. Historically, professionalism was is created by definitions and structures that are very specific to men, where women navigating how how to fit in a suit <laughs> when it doesn't necessarily fit our bodies, or how to fit in a, a world where you're supposed to leave your other life at home and supposed to be separate. When you are a mom or you are going through a hard mental health time or you have all these other facets to, regardless of gender, to be able to say, oh, this is the only part of me I'm bringing to work. You really aren't going to get the best out of people because they have to be a different human when they pass through the, the company doors. So if anything, the, the new standard that the global pandemic brought to us is that it at least lets us reevaluate what professionalism is. And I'm hoping that it lasts because people want to see you bring your pets into the screen. They want to see <laughs> what you're doing in the back. It allows them to know a little bit more about yourself and not just this robotic half of you that is presented just to get through the workday. And even just from a context of managing emotions, I can't be, can't be good yeah. for us mentally. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. It's, it's part of the very reason I left the corporate sector many years ago, because they weren't interested in who I was. They were interested in what they wanted. Yeah, so they didn't want the personality. They didn't want the, they just wanted the, yeah. it's interesting use of terms there, the, the robot, perhaps yeah. just do the job. I can actually recall one of my bosses at the time who was a national partner in an advisory firm, female, and she she would not even say hello outside of the workplace. It was only as soon as we were inside the office space that any engagement would happen. Otherwise, it was eyes straight, walk straight past the team. Okay. So it was a very awkward and and then there was this other kind of behaviour where if you didn't wear the right coloured suit because we were in an advisory firm, so there were a lot of charcoal suits around. But, you know, in, uh, while I was there, I liked wearing some other colours. <laughs> and uh, this was frowned upon. Yeah. <laughs> this was, uh, this was yeah. not, not proper. In fact, I, I got cancelled by a, a senior partner in the, in the backdrop of a story around power dressing. And, mm -hmm. and I was just thinking about this going, power dressing? What's all this about? And I guess that was the world that we all lived in. But, but I was a very productive team member. And I know I added a lot of value and a lot of economic value into that organization. But I left because that was soulless and it didn't represent my definition of a fulfilled life. I often, I often joke to, it was sort of a sarcastic joke to some of my close friends that there was nobody in the senior leadership that had a suntan and that was completely unappealing to me to try and aspire to be the same thing. <laughs> so, so that led me down a different path. I think you start to realize how much of the standards are quite bogus yeah. and it's all construction, it's completely made up and it's just rules we follow because that's what society has dictated and the more that we follow them, the more that they keep building and we just accept for it to be true. And eloquent segue back to women's health. I think a lot of times what has been pushed down for women's health is suppressing it is you have to show up to work despite having massive menstrual cramps or have being, you might be at the end of your pregnancy and you still, you're not on maternity leave just yet, or there might be all of these other facets and women complaining about their health 
and I'm using the word complaining in quotes, is seen as unprofessional. And you're meant to just do it with a smile on your face and get it done and still (laughs) might struggle to get to the top of the ladder if that should be your goal. So what I do find through Femtech, and and I think some of current events over the last few years, through Me Too, through a lot of bold leaders around the world, through the global pandemic, is women are really finding a voice to be able to talk about their suffering and to make it less of a taboo to chat about, to try to make it normalize that I have to take a half day, I need to be home to breastfeed my child or what what have you. And workplace flexibility should really be able to accommodate these different things because ultimately workplaces are saying is if they're able to accommodate a woman or employee's full self, they actually care about you and not just you doing what you need to do to make them a successful company. So it's it's a very interesting thing that Femtech is allowing and it can actually work hand in hand with companies like companies like Kaya, which is a support service or support service that works, it's a B2B to seek service that allows and provides key experts in every facet of health on demand so that workplaces can easily get appointments or talk to an expert right away or our, the example that Cortina McCurry, the CEO, always gives is she might be on a phone call rushing to work, needing to drop off her daughter at daycare, and the daughter has a rash, and she can easily get on the phone with an expert. Finding those companies for employers to work with are ultimately going to make their employees more productive, more efficient, if they know that outside of work is you know, being handled, is stable. Yeah, I think that's the opportunity of, I guess, the entrepreneur to, when when we sit in a position where we look at life through our experience and we say, why is it like that? That's the opportunity. Mm. That's the opportunity. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm a strong believer that the entrepreneur is key to progressiveness. We, we often fall back in society on thinking that we should get government to do it. But I mm. say, just do it yourself. And you can, it can be done. You'll find the right energy. You'll find the right resources. You'll find the alignments that are needed to do. If you're passionate enough about the change, that's your opportunity to enter the fray and help society move forward. Otherwise, we're, we're, we're just expecting the established apparatus, the system to self-criticize. And when people are in power, that's really hard for them to do. And I don't think it really matters what the gender of the power holders is. I just think that when there's power there, it's going to resist the change. But at the end of the day, the change exists in the people. And so if we move forward and appeal to people and make sure that we are human-centered, we get the numbers, we get the evolution that we're looking for. That's a magnificent opportunity for entrepreneurs to actually embody the change and help realize it. Yeah, and I would I would even tag on to that. You know, you said what if entrepreneurs just handled it themselves? And I would say, what could it look like if they handled it? Like what is what is the dream vision of what it could be? Yeah. And then you find out how to get there. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's I think you're right. It's often something that we find particularly in women's health issues, but more broadly human rights issues is it's very easy to find the problem. It's very easy to find systemically 
where the problem originated and how you would like it to be different, it's very difficult to find an outcome of how to go forward. And something that the team at the Femtech Collective are really focusing on is trying to get away from holding events or workshops or what have you that are just panels of this is going to happen because you're female. This is like the code for being a certain gender. Instead, finding practical sessions with key takeaways that this is the outcome, this is what you could do or a solution you could do to start changing slowly the problem that is at hand. Because it's it's slow incremental change that's really going to get us there. And it does seem like a lot of human rights, despite there being many more to solve, are progressing. But we really need to get to a point where we can innovate solutions to set us on the right path instead of just focusing on uh, the problem at hand. Yeah, that that really resonates with me as well. So I guess just to cap off where we're at, I'm a little bit obsessed about the potential of reimagining healthcare. And I really think it is going to be a blend of the digital tools that are available to us and that will be available to us in the future and real world goods and service providers as an evolution where the tech in of itself will influence some of the thinking, but ultimately it's the culture in our community that will drive what needs to be done. I don't think just because there's some whiz-bang technology that's just been released that that's a good reason to change our lives. But in our lives, there are opportunities and problems, and they're the reasons. They're the things that we should focus on. And then, so it's it's a bit like, uh, let's figure out what we need to do and why we need to do it, and then ask the question how. So the tech should be secondary in a sense. That that's the enabler. But in the context of, I guess, the the potential of the femtech collective, what's it going to look like? in five to 10 years time? Yeah, that's, that's exciting to think about. Huh? I would hope that it's in the vision for it is that we're the go-to reset source globally, but it, it would be great for us to be able to have our arms in all the different facets of what it means to build the industry. So we've, we've talked about doing our own independent research, partnering with the key universities around Australia and maybe that will go globally at some stage that are really focusing on women's health to recognize and and provide opportunities of these are the holes. This is where innovation could be a fantastic way forward. We've also talked about having our own femtech fund to be able to be our own funding outlet, partnering with more financial services and firms to be able to fund those companies that we think are the best return on investment and also making that impact for Aussie women. There's a lot of assets that we're really looking forward to. I think a lot of that starts with our, we we do have an Aussie, Aussie based femtech market report coming out mid next year. That was really going to amplify and show how much progress Australia has made over the last few years. It's going to be accompanied with an investment thesis for future investment to really show where the trends are going, what companies are the key players. There's incredible opportunity for us to continue further from every facet and area that you might be your specialty in in this space. So anyone curious about the Femtech Collective, of course, reach out. I'm sure there'll be more information in the show notes. 
Oh, there absolutely will put some links out and big supporter, Megan. Thank you for allowing Health Tech X to have the opportunity to align. And we look forward to working with anyone within the collaboration community there around Femtech initiatives. And I really appreciate you taking the time today, sharing some thoughts and giving us a bit of insights into what you're doing and where you'd like to get to. So thank you, Megan. Yes, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.